Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the third episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In episode three, we'll be interviewing Dr. Joel Furman, who will be sharing his expertise on nutrition and longevity. Then I'll be reviewing the book I'm reading now, which is Open Her by Karen Brody. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation using health affirmations. But first, let me tell you about my own journey from fussy eater to foodie. Let's talk about food. Just thinking of food makes me salivate. I absolutely love eating. I am definitely a foodie, and I would define my current diet as a whole foods, plant-based, vegan diet. I love my foods. I also eat everything organic as much as I can, and I absolutely love the taste of organic food, locally sourced organic food. There's just nothing like it, and I really do spend a lot of money on food. But it wasn't always that way. When I was a child, I was a very fussy eater. My parents did not know what to do with me because meal times were always very complicated in my house because I just refused to eat. So my parents were very worried about me naturally. I grew up in an Irish home, so we had potatoes every single day, either mashed potatoes, boiled potatoes, roast potatoes, not very often fried potatoes. I did love chips or French fries as they are called in some parts of the world. And I love to have them swimming in malt vinegar. Oh my God, I still do. But that was a treat maybe once a week. So I was very fussy for most of my childhood and having potatoes every single day. But I always used to leave the meat on the side of my plate. I thought it was disgusting. The taste was just, ooh, awful. And I just didn't like it, basically. And I remember when I was 12, one of my friends invited me to her house for tea. That's what we call it where I'm from or dinner in most parts of the world. And I asked her what we would be having. And she said, pasta shells. And I said, pasta shells, but with potatoes. And she said, no, we're not going to have potatoes. We're only going to have pasta shells. So I was very confused. Anyway, when I went to her house, she gave me a plate pasta shells and some tomato sauce. And I looked at it and I thought, I'd never seen anything like it before. I took a mouthful of these pasta shells and the texture was so weird to me. It was like plastic in my mouth. And I wasn't very adventurous with trying new food. So I just ended up not really eating any of it. I tried a couple of bites just to be polite as I'd been invited there, but I just couldn't do do it. And everyone was laughing at me, actually. All her brothers and sisters were just laughing at me because I was the potato girl. But then a few years later, I discovered pizza. And that really opened me up to different vegetables. I found that 
making a margarita pizza and just and adding any vegetable to it would suddenly make the vegetable taste nicer. And I absolutely opened my mind to vegetables. I got to a point where I liked all vegetables. So it's absolutely fantastic. And also just being able to enjoy pizza meant that I could eat out. There was a lot more flexibility for eating out in restaurants because there was always pizza. And I even kind of started eating pasta as well sometimes, but it never really was my favorite dish, to be honest. When I left home at 18, I became a vegetarian an ovo-lacto-vegetarian. I'd never really eaten meat, to be honest. I've never tried fish in my life. I, I always thought the smell was so disgusting. I couldn't believe how people could actually put something that smells so bad in their mouth. And I never ate beef. I had chicken a few times. And what else? I liked ham sometimes though, but it wasn't something I had very often. But mostly it was beans and potatoes and pizza and salads for me. And also something I did like about being vegetarian is that when I was invited to some people's houses, when I had I had a bit more variety going on in my diet, I often got very special treatment and people would ask me what I ate just so that I, they would prepare something special for me. And that was much better than just going along and just eating some random food that you don't know what it's going to be. So I did like that because I was never very, very adventurous. So for me, being a vegetarian or of a lacto-vegetarian was simply a socially acceptable way of being a fussy eater. And I just couldn't imagine, you know, cutting up meat and stuffing meat and all of those things that you do with meat. I've never done that myself. Ooh, I just thought, oh my God, cringe. So I wasn't really an ethical vegetarian by any means. I didn't really care to be about the animals, to be honest, which is um, something which is a bit strange to say that now. Uh, I don't feel the same way about it now. But even when I first moved to Spain, I used to think I actually worked next to one of the most famous bull rings in Spain. And I did, I did actually want to go and see a bullfight. I was curious about it. I'm so glad I didn't now, though. But um, I did change my perspective a lot when I became vegan about animal ethics, etc. But when I was vegetarian, I didn't care. I even wore fur. For me, it was just about not liking the animals. I've never, never really been a fan of pets either. I always used to feel quite scared of dogs. So it was never about animals. I just, um, yeah, I just didn't really care much for them in any way. Um, but then when I lived abroad as well, coming to Spain and also before I lived in Spain, I lived in France and that also, those experiences really opened me up to different foods from different cultures. And I became actually a lot less fussy as long as it was vegetarian. So that was a really great experience. And also that meant that I was more flexible and I started to enjoy things a lot more. So that was fantastic. But also when I first came to Spain and when I was in France, being vegetarian was quite exotic. People used to think I was crazy. I remember living in France, uh, there was this butcher's by the place I worked. And on every Monday, they would have a whole cow's head peeled in the shop window. And it was just, I used to walk past, I think, don't look, don't look. And I just couldn't resist. And I just looked and I thought, oh my God, I couldn't imagine putting something like that in the oven and then taking it out and serving it. It just seemed like really disgusting to me. 
And uh, I used to talk about this to my to my colleagues at work and they were just all laughing at me because I was the weird one, it seemed. But I always believed that I was the normal one and everyone else was strange to actually, to eat, eating meat just seemed very strange to me. Six years ago, I started to discover, it was quite unintentional really, I was looking for some content about how to lose belly fat. And I came across some vegan YouTubers and I started to get very curious about the content they were sharing. And I started to learn a lot more about nutrition. And it got to the point where I couldn't really justify eating dairy anymore. I didn't really eat that many eggs. I had egg, eggs as an ingredient. I did love my cheese though. And pizza was my favorite dish for so many years. And I couldn't imagine going vegan full time, but a lot of what they were saying was actually resonating with me. I did think that milk was disgusting and eggs were disgusting. And and I started to realize that maybe it wasn't as healthy as um, people had said in the past, So, or, had, or I believed it them to be. So gradually I started to eliminate animal products from my diet. And it did take a long time because I did love my cheese. And I also used to love red velvet cake. And then, and also it's always been, eating this way has always been a bit antisocial. Whenever I had a boyfriend, they had to look for restaurants that had vegetarian dishes for me. I remember once I went on a date with a guy who wasn't a vegetarian. Well, most guys have never been with a vegetarian guy, to be honest. And we were looking at different menus of restaurants outside. And I was like, no, can't eat here, can't eat here, can't eat here. And it just seemed like if you wanted to impress someone in that situation, you just come across as like such a fussy person. But fortunately, things have improved a lot now in just the space of maybe five or six years. So for me, I started to actually eliminate these foods gradually. And I got to a point where I became full a full vegan three years ago. And I did that because someone in my family had a heart attack. And that was really the, the for me, it was the trigger to actually stop eating any animal products altogether. I thought I don't want to have, you know, any, I don't want to be eating any cholesterol. And um, it just seemed to make sense. And I've never really looked back. I've never gone back to eating any animal products. And I also joined a group in Barcelona called Barcelona Vegan Community. And it was incredible to actually meet with like-minded people because often being plant-based or vegan can seem very antisocial when in fact making it a central part of my social life has been amazing because I've actually really enjoyed eating with these people on a weekly basis. We used to meet at different restaurants every single week and we know all of the vegan plant-based restaurants in Barcelona. It's been absolutely amazing. And also organizing potlucks, picnics, etc., and also sharing lots of information and, um, and recipes has just been amazing. So for me now, I don't really consider myself to be a fussy eater. I will eat anything as long as it's, uh, as long as it's plant-based, but eating at home is always a more, it's, I do actually make my own food and I really do enjoy preparing it. And just over the pandemic, I started to actually spend more money on food and I went organic. 
I know some people say that you don't need to go organic for certain vitamins, etc. But for me, the taste is just amazing. And I'm eating a whole foods plant-based diet that's organic and locally sourced. So I'm just having foods that just taste incredible. And also something I love about organic food is that some vegetables that seem to be okay before this, this, this happened, or I started doing or having organic food, they just have a new taste. For example, red peppers, the ones I'm getting are just like, oh my God, I can't even describe them or portobello mushrooms or I don't know, all the fruits I'm having. The taste is just absolutely exquisite and everything's in season as well. So it's just, it's just amazing. So that's all well and good. But um, recently, well, a few months ago, I was actually in hospital with with pneumonia and suspected COVID, etc. And I was quite ill for, for some time. And um, the doctor said to me, it's because you're vegan. You've got anemia as well. And I thought I was on a mission really to prove them wrong and to try and get my blood work in a perfect shape so that I could... Um, you know, I really do believe in, in veganism and um, plant-based diets, but I know that a lot of the the medical community doesn't feel the same way. So I had, um, it was quite a battle for me to be recovering from, from anemia in a situation where people were kind of looking down at me saying it's because I was vegan. But anyway, I came out of hospital in, in, on the 22nd of February this year, just about four or five months ago. And I was kind of on a mission just to get my iron levels back to a healthy a healthy reading, which I managed to do with nutrition. But as I was doing that, I also actually ended up gaining a bit of weight, not just because of I was eating a little bit more, but also I was not very active because pneumonia is so tiring. Anyone who's been through it knows that it's just, it just does take a long time until you are back on your feet. And I was just... Um, just going to the supermarket was a big deal for me. So um, it did take me a long time to actually get my strength back. And I've actually put on eight kilos. Ah, so I've got this big challenge now to actually get fit again. And I'm back at the gym and I have, to, I have to keep strong, but I want to actually lose some weight. And I've never, ever done a diet in my life, even though some people do consider a vegan diet to be a diet, but I never have. I've never counted calories or anything like that. But now I'm actually really looking at everything I'm eating. I've downloaded the app Chronometer, which is an app that you can track all your nutrition. You can track your minerals and vitamins and macro, what's it called? Macronutrient ratios, if you're into that and, and calories and how much you're burning. And so I'm getting very interested about the nutrition I am having and and how good it is for me. And, and for example, if by lunchtime, if I see um, if I if I see that I need some more vitamin E that day or whatever it is, then I'll make sure that my dinner contains something with that vitamin so that I can actually get some get some balance. And I'm actually really enjoying it because I do enjoy just analyzing food. And and recently I read the book. Eat to Live by Dr. Joel Furman, who is going to be featuring on this podcast in a few minutes. I'm going to be interviewing him. And it really opened my eyes to the dangers, or I don't know if that's the right word, of actually oil. Um, I've been obviously living in Spain, so olive oil is something that's considered considered to be very healthy here. And I've just had my eyes opened and I've had this massive realization that I should not be 
eating olive oil. So I've actually eliminated that now from my diet and I'm discovering new salad dressings and it's really interesting. And I've also started to supersize all of my salads, which is quite cool because I, I, I think of the word diet and I think restriction, whereas the way I'm eating now um, is is really pure abundance because I'm eating things that I never used to I didn't even know existed when I was a child or when I was um when I was vegetarian so I'm on a, I'm on a kind of a journey now to be healthy and fit and strong and lose a few pounds so that is my current journey with food and um and also about the ethical part it's interesting because when I became vegan I did become more connected to the ethical side of it. But although it wasn't the reason why I went vegan, I couldn't imagine, um, you know, going vegan because of the planet, even though I do admire people who, who do it for that reason, or even for watching, you know, slaughterhouse videos, which are absolutely shocking. And they actually make me cry now. I do have a, a kind of a better or a bigger connection with animals these days and way more and, and absolute respect for them. And so those things do make me cry, but still food is something that's so strong and the desire for food and, and it's also part of culture. It's very, very difficult to give up. And I can understand that for some people. So for me, I'm I'm just so happy that I fully enjoy the way I'm eating. I couldn't imagine eating anything else, to be honest. Um, so there's for me, there is no sacrifice. But I can understand for some people who who are doing doing it for ethics, they might still at the back of their mind still enjoy the taste of meat and maybe those kind of like vegan junk food foods or can be can be good for them. I never liked that kind of thing. I could never eat something like Beyond Burger or any type of product that's that's trying to imitate meat. I just think, oh my God, I can't eat that. <laughs> I need, I'm a quinoa and salad person really, and um, beans and lentils, and um, there's just so many things and sprouts. In fact, as long as it's a plant, I will, I will eat it. And that's how I feel about plants these days. I'm really salivating now, just thinking about food. Now it's time for this episode's interview. I'm going to be speaking to New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Joel Furman. Dr. Joel Furman, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you so much for taking part in this interview today. My pleasure. And I've just finished reading your best-selling book, Eat to Live, and you've convinced me to give up olive oil and to start eating more nutrient-dense foods. And giving up olive oil is a really big deal because I live here in Spain and I've been having cold-pressed, virg extra virgin olive oil and, and people think it's very healthy, but apparently it's not. Would you like to tell us why? Well, if you don't mind, my book Eat to Live was written in 2004 and revised in 2011. But my latest book, the most updated book, is Eat for Life. It's my new version of that. But okay. still, fantastic. You're reading that was my very best-selling book, you know, of all times. Um, yeah, the you know, um, a well, I advocate a nutritarian diet. That's a diet rich in plant-derived nutrients that have phytochemicals and antioxidants to slow aging and to prevent chronic disease. Because the major causes of death are heart attacks, strokes, and cancers. And I see those diseases as being totally preventable and the result of lifestyle and environmental challenges. And if we eat super healthily, 
our body is really protected against those diseases. Now, not only eating a diet rich in nutrients, but also having a thin body because fat on the body sequesters nutrients away from the other cells, but fat on the body becomes a storage depot for toxic waste products. Yes. So I was saying a nutritarian diet is not about just being rich in nutrients. We also have to be moderately calorically restricted to make sure we're a favorable weight, not too thin, not too heavy. We have to be a perfect weight, be muscular and strong, but not extra fat. And if you're pouring oil on your food, it's fat. It's not just that it's fat. It's 120 calories a tablespoon. And it's fine for a person who's a professional athlete or a laborer in a field behind a plow eight hours a day, burning off 3,000, 4,000 calories a day to throw an extra thousand calories or 500 calories on their food each day. But for most people working on desk jobs, it keeps them fat. Now, fat cells don't just sequester nutrients and hold on to toxins. They're pro-inflammatory tissue. Fat cells don't get a great blood supply. So they spew out reactive oxygen species, creating an inflammatory state in the body. And that's why people who are overweight are higher risk of dying of infectious deaths, like, like COVID death, and their higher rate of cancer. Fat cells also make you insulin resistant. And the hallmark of a short lifespan is a person who's insulin resistant and they have higher circulating glucose all through life. All the centenarians, all long-lived people are insulin sensitive and their their glucose levels run particularly low. So we're taking, so we're saying now that oil, it promotes the, the inflammatory compounds, the cytokines, the lipokines, suppress the immune system, make you more prone for cancer and fat on the body also activates aromatase, which makes you um, higher levels of estrogen, increasing risk of breast and prostate cancer. And when I'm saying oil, all types of oil, is a major contributory to this pro-inflammatory cancer-prone state because it keeps people overweight. And you can't lose weight if you're pouring oil on your food. It's so rapidly absorbed. It's an appetite stimulant. And about 90% of the population to in the modern world in, the, in Western and industrialized countries have, have, ex, have too much fat on their body for optimal health. So if you're slim, and the other issue is, is that there's a comparison between eating fat from nuts and seeds, avocados and olives, or eating fat from the walnut oil, the sesame oil, the soybean oil, the sunflower oil, the olive oil. And we know that when people switch from oil to the whole food, the risk of cardiovascular death goes down by 40%. So we're talking here about even the Prevamid study. So when people switch from oil to nuts and seeds, they got dramatically reduced risk of heart attacks occurrences. So we're talking here that it's always the whole food that's better than the fragmented food. It's an apple, not apple juice. Mm -hmm. It's... um, it's a avocado, not avocado oil. It's sesame seeds, not sesame seeds oil. If you want to maximize lifespan, there's so many benefits you get from eating the whole nutter seed that are not found in the oil from that nutter seed. I gave up um, oil on Saturday, so I'm on day four. And what I loved about your book, another thing is um, the advice or the recommendation just to make big salads. So I've been supersizing my salads and I'm now on a journey of discovering or making my own oil-free salad dressings. So that's very interesting for me. I'm finding lots of um, recipes online. So it's a very interesting, interesting journey. Yeah, and I have about, you know, I have over 2,000 recipes on my website, and we're teaching people how to make delicious salad dressings and sauces made from blending a little bit of nutter seed. Like, for example, I'll make an orange sesame dressing with cashews, 
um, raw sesame seeds, which I toast a little bit, um, a, a, some couple of navel oranges, a squeeze of lemon, and a little vinegar like apple cider vinegar or blood orange vinegar whipped up, making a delicious dressing. Or I'll make a tomato-based dressing with like thickened tomato sauce with almond butter and balsamic vinegar and a couple of currants and some roasted garlic and making an incredible dressings with whole foods instead of making unhealthy dressings that have just oil and, you know, and vinegar, which is just empty calories. So that's fun. We get, we make great desserts. Like we make like a, you know, a, a bean brownie with that, with that, um, with a little bit of, um, you know, with beans and almond butter, a little bit of a chocolate icing made out of avocado and tofu with cocoa powder and a few dates. So we're making delicious food, but we're doing the whole foods. We're not using sugar, we're sweetening with a date. We're not using oil, we're using sesame seeds and cashews. We're not using, you know, so we're, it's really a fun and delicious way to cook, but it, we're finding that it wipes out people's diabetes or they lose weight, they live longer, they don't get cancer, their heart disease melts away. It's really um, the, the, the nutrient, the dietary portfolio that enables people to age slower and live longer also can be effective therapeutically to reverse disease so people can get off their medications and not be taking drugs all their time, all the time. It sounds delicious. I'm definitely going to check them out because I've been um, experimenting with cashews and I've got too much mortar in ones. It's all a bit of a journey <laughs> just to try and get the right ones. And it's, it's delicious so far. And, and it's really interesting because I'm hoping what's going to happen is a few months down the line or weeks, I'm going to be like, ooh, oil, that's disgusting. <laughs> you know? Have you seen my Eat to Live cookbook? Because I've, seen your, I've seen your website, so I'm, I'm very tempted to join now. I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot of delicious uh, salad dressings on there because I'm a real salad person anyway. I do eat a whole foods, plant-based, organic, um, locally produced um, oh, wow. that's great. diet anyway. I haven't eaten meat for 25 years, so I'm whole foods, plant-based. And... Um, so I'm really excited about this, um, making my salads a lot bigger. I was having them on a normal plate big. now, and now they're really big. Nine-inch bowl, because not a soup bowl, not a six-inch soup no, bowl. No, no, no. A nine-inch serving Like a bowl. mixing bowl. I'm, I'm using a mixing bowl. Right, exactly. <laughs> you want people to have at least one big salad a day. Yeah, my greengrocer is going to love me now because I'm going to be eating a lot more fresh stuff there. And on the topic of um, weight loss, um, a lot of people have gained weight during the pandemic, myself included. And even though I eat very healthily, but oil, obviously, <laughs> you can understand why. But I've actually gained seven kilos. I've never been this big in my life. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Um, so what advice would you give to anyone who has, has an extra layer of pandemic fat? Well, they have, they're not going to lose weight if they don't get the oil out of their diet. It's this, mm -hmm. it's, they've, been, they've been so misled and, and thinking that oil is healthy for them that it's just that they, they're not as active. They, don't, they gain weight. And you're not going to lose weight pouring oil on your food. So it's really sugar, salt, and oil. It's, it's the sweeteners. You know, we, even when we make a dessert, we don't put more than one middle date per person for dessert at night in the, to sweeten it. And a lot of the desserts are just, desserts are just frozen fruit like frozen cherries that means part of a frozen jackfruit or frozen mango or, you know, or for fresh, it's not all of its fruit. So maybe once or twice a week, we might make a fancier dessert. We'd make an ice cream, like a chocolate ice cream with cocoa powder to date in it or a brownie or some kind of um, fancier or, or tiramisu with um, agar. Agar, we make some fancy desserts a few times a week, but mostly it's fresh fruit. And, the meal, and people should be losing one kilo a week. And I say, if you're wow. not losing... If you're, if you're overweight and not losing a kilogram a week, then you're not following this program. A nutritarian diet affords people that opportunity to lose a half a kilo every three days. And if they're not doing that, they're not doing it right. And it doesn't matter. 
Because even if they don't exercise, they're still going to lose the weight because the food is very filling. It doesn't have any extra sweeteners or oils in it. And you eat, get to eat, you don't have to eat thimble-sized portions of food. You get to eat liberal, liberal amounts of delicious tasting food and people find they are satisfied with less calories and they lose weight. I'm excited. I'm, I'm on week 15 at the gym now and I haven't, I haven't actually lost any weight. So hopefully with this, uh, the combination of massive salads and, and your plan and, and the exercise. And then, then when you're using nuts and seeds, mm-hmm. only use a half an ounce per meal. Mm-hmm. So you have a total of an ounce and a half a day. Don't overdo the nuts because that also could produce um, too much fat calories. But, but, but I can eat more than an ounce and a half of nuts a day because I'm not looking to lose weight. But for mm-hmm. a person looking to lose weight, they should go a half an ounce per meal. So that's the one thing they're measuring where the vegetables and the other things, they can eat more liberally as much as they want. It's always easier to prepare food at home, obviously, because you know how much you're, you're having. But what about when you are eating out or at a friend's place or at a restaurant? What do you think about cheat days? Well, um, most people are overweight because they've developed an addictive relationship with food. And the foods that drive them to overeat are the foods that aren't healthy for them to begin with. If they stay away from salt, the salt drives them, their salt craving, their sugar craving, their oil or fat craving. And the cheat days reinforce their cravings and the addictions. It's like bringing to an alcoholic to a bar once a week. Instead of getting over the cravings, and having them fade into the past and no longer desire those foods, by having a cheat day, they constantly throw those foods in their face and make them always thinking about them, always wanting them more. And they never cross the line between preferring this way of eating over their old diet. I wouldn't consider a cheat day for myself because I don't like those things you'd be cheating on or a person's been cheating on. They don't have any appeal to me because I'd prefer my taste of my food better. I'd rather have my ice cream with the frozen banana, the macadamia nuts, and the real vanilla bean powder, real food compared to the stuff that's overly sweetened. I can taste the chemicals and bleach in it. This doesn't. But if I kept eating that heavily sweetened stuff, I would never appreciate the unsweetened, the lower sugar version of the, just the bananas with the macadamia nuts and the real vanilla bean powder wouldn't have much appeal to me. So what I'm saying is like here, like for example, we have this retreat in San Diego where people come from all over the world to get rid of food addiction and to lose weight. And they stay here for two to three months. And when they leave, they don't desire those cravings anymore. And they're abstaining from those foods long enough period of time where they're not caught, they're not in have this love affair with those foods, wanting them so much. So they, and their taste buds get stronger and change. So they prefer to have foods that are not so heavily sweetened and heavily flavored and heavily greasy and so greasy. So they prefer this way of eating after a while, and it makes for them to it enables them to stay on the plan for the rest of their life and, and be and get maximum enjoyment from it. When you have one foot in both worlds, you never really love. You don't really your taste doesn't change all the way, and you don't really love eating this way. I want people to prefer eating this way. This is the way they they desire to eat. And they'd rather eat this way than to eat their the stuff that they're gonna, that they used to like. Yeah, I can think it's very difficult. But here in Barcelona, there's a, lot, there's a massive um, vegan movement. There are lots of organic restaurants. But even if you go to a healthy restaurant, there's going to be olive oil and salt and all of those things. So if it's a predominantly yeah. healthy restaurant with just a bit of olive, um, oil and salt, would that be okay for one meal? Or, or is it going to be? It's a, it depends on the person because for you or me, I can do that because I can eat one meal that has some oil and salt in it, and I would not want that again, and I would stay away from it for the next couple of weeks. It wouldn't make me into an addict, but for some people, 
having the oil and salt could make them, could throw them off of their diet for the whole week and they keep wanting more. It makes them want more of it. So it depends on the individual. The more you're a food addict, the more you have to stay away from those foods. If you're not a food addict and you can stay eating healthy the whole month and go out and have that once a month or so, and it doesn't make you want to have more of it, then it's, then it's no problem. It's like saying, well, if I smoked a cigarette, you know, one night in a month, it wouldn't have any negative effect on me, except if I was an addict and made me want to smoke more cigarettes, then it would have a negative effect. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And on the topic of, um, let's talk about diet and longevity. So what do you think are the best foods to keep us young? Well, here, I want people to memorize these five words and write them down. Okay. Because the most proven methodology to extend the human lifespan is moderate caloric restriction in the context of micronutrient excellence. So those are the five words, moderate caloric restriction, micronutrient excellence. And I'm saying when we have the micronutrient exposure to the full symphony of nutrients humans desire, um, require, then it naturally suppresses our appetite and we feel satisfied with the right amount of calories and we no longer desire to overeat. So we have to be well-nourished without, without taking an excess of calories. Now, the foods that consistently show in the scientific literature the most protection against later life cancers and premature aging, I, have, I give that acronym GBOMBS, G-B-O-M-B-S, which stands for greens, beans or legumes, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. Greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. So the greens, of course, are the salad, but also broccoli and artichokes and asparagus and string beans and zucchini, all the green foods. And number two, the beans include lentils and split peas and zuki beans and soybeans, all the beans family, legume family. And then onions, scallions, garlic, different types of berries and low sugar fruits and seeds like black seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, which have dramatic anti-cancer effects. So G-bomb, so I want people to eat the salad, for example, and put some cruciferous greens on top, like bok choy, kale, collards, arugula, put some, um, put some green, you know, green, and then put a nut and seed-based dressing with some scallion or onion in there too. To get I did those that today. Food. You did that today? <laughs> yeah, with my big um, baker's bowl. So I'm, I'm quite proud of myself, definitely following your, your tips today, definitely. Great. <laughs> And another thing about, um, let's, speaking of aging, we produce less collagen and our skin loses elasticity as we age. And there are many supplements that contain animal collagen. There are people who think that you need to consume collagen to produce your own collagen. What do you think about that? Obviously, on a plant-based diet, we're not consuming animal collagen and people have this perception that vegans are going to lose elasticity or something. What, what, would you, what do you say to that? It's marketing. It's really not. Yeah. It's not this is not proven scientific data to show that keeps people longer. Uh, you know, I we're, we're talking about anti-aging phenomenon here. And the key here is being, and one of the secrets, and we could say the most foundational um, sciences to, that shows the anti-aging effects is eating more animal, eating less animal protein and eating more plant protein. It's not just eating animal, get rid of the animal protein, moving vegan. It's not getting, cutting back on animal products, eating more bread, and pasta, and potato, and rice, and fruit. No, it's actually eating more high-protein plant foods that maintain your bones, your collagen, and the anti-aging effects, and keep the IGF-1 
not too high and not excessively low. And we're talking about high protein plants like hemp seeds, broccoli florets, lentils, soybeans. You know, we're talking here of um, quinoa. We're talking here about almonds, which pumpkin seeds. We're talking about all these protein-rich plant foods, including the soybean, including edamame, dried soybeans that you soak and make into soups and chilies, and even tempeh have dramatic effects. Contrary to what people hear on the internet, there's dramatic benefits to eating some anti-estrogenic effects on, the so on breast tissue and prostate tissue and anti-aging effects from eating some whole soybean in the form of edamame or dried soybeans that you make into a dish on a, re on a regular basis. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, split ideas about soya. I think if people don't know if it's good or bad. I think people, it creates a lot of confusion, I think. Yeah, there's been a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of backlash and a lot of billions of dollars spent to, um, you know, to bash the plant-based movement for the, the meat and dairy industry. And they've used a lot of um, soy bashing because mm -hmm. isolated soy protein and processed foods made from soy have um, negative, can have negative effects and raise IGF-1 almost to the same degree as meat does. So there is so we're not saying to use, like, we don't want people to eat potato chips instead of a potato. We're eating, we're not having soy fake foods, but the real soybean, the studies on the real soybean and using that as part of your meals show, show powerful anti-cancer longevity promoting effects. And the data is consistent. It's not, it's not, shouldn't be controversial. The studies have an overwhelming amount of evidence that these are lifespan enhancing foods. Are there any foods you rec would recommend to prevent, let's say, the aches and pains and stiffness that's associated with aging? Well, you know, the, there's, not one, there's not one dietary portfolio that's going to prevent cancer, and another dietary portfolio that prevents dementia, and another dietary portfolio that protects against heart disease, or, you know, we're talking about the same ideal longevity-promoting dietary portfolio that contains these green, these different, these categories of foods protects against all chronic diseases and all forms of aging, including macular degeneration and skin premature aging and osteoarthritis of your joints and, and co collagen and cartilage destruction. It's the same program that has these beneficial effects on tissues. Now, some people, of course, you know, they're you know, they, they could develop, they could be at higher risk of, let's say, osteoarthritis or wear and tear of the meniscal cartilage in their knees because they pronate and they're walking improperly, their feet are out of alignment, and sometimes proper posture, the right orthotic, cooling their, you know, as we're talking about being having proper body alignment for, to reduce wear and tear on certain joints, it's not 100% dietary related, sometimes it's structurally related, but, but basically it's 90% of the time people are just aging prematurely because they're eating improperly and their whole body ages simultaneously. Their cartilage ages, their collagen ages, when their heart is aging and when their brain is shrinking, they're aging the whole body simultaneously. Okay, um, going back to what I read in your book, Eat to Live, some of your recommendations are very different from the ones published by governmental authorities on nutrition. For example, the pyramid you showed was the emphasis on, um, on grains. Um, so obviously you say that the, we should have more greens. That should be the basis of our, of our nutrition. Well, in, in making a pyramid where the base of the pyramid is 
what you're trying to eat more of. My base is made of vegetables, not grains or not greens. The base is all different types of vegetables. Vegetables should be the base of your pyramid. And you can eat some whole grains and fruits and beans and nuts, but we're trying to eat a lot of bulk in our diet from vegetables. And that includes, you know, vegetables of different colors, squashes and turnips and carrots and beets and, you know, and zucchini and different types of vegetables, pumpkin and squash and greens and peas. And so the basic pyramid should be vegetables. And we're trying to eat between a half an ounce to an ounce of nuts to each meal and about a half a cup to a cup of beans each day and then about three to five fresh fruits a day. So we're trying to eat a sensible diet with a sensible variety of foods because all each one of these foods has power to extend lifespan and prevent cancer, but they work synergistically. When you have the greens, there's a tremendous powerful to suppress genetic defects. But when you add greens and mushrooms together, it adds more anti-angiogenic power to prevent cells from replicating. And if we add the mushrooms to the greens and the onions too, the greens, the mushrooms, and the onions together, then you get the most powerful effects and the most favorable effects in the microbiome, the right bacteria in the gut, thickening of the biofilm so it keeps glucose low from foods coming in. So it's the whole pattern of foods that interact with the human body. And even the ergothenine on mushrooms that stabilize cells in the body um, and prevent um, aging of organelles. And it's a product found in mostly in mushrooms that the body utilizes to slow the aging process. So if you're preparing, a, let's say, a plate of food, because I've heard in the past from different recommendations that half of it should be grains, a quarter protein, and a quarter veg, what would your plate ratio be like? I mean, that wouldn't be half of grains. That would be way too much, of course. How, how, what would, would be the percentage then? Right. Like we want people not to use grains. You know, vegetables should be the major source of their calories and their bulk on their plate. The grains, people shouldn't be eating more than one cup of grains a day. So most of us eat less than that. Most of us eat like a half a cup of bean, a half a cup of grain, you know, oats or quinoa or something like that. And we're eating more beans as a source of the starch. Beans in the soup, beans in the chili, beans in the burger, beans in the in the in the wok vegetable dish. We're using beans on the salad, you know. So we're using more beans than we are using whole grains. So I'd say at a minute, at a, if you're a big appetite, it might be a cup of beans and a cup of grain in a day. But if, you're need, but if you have a lower appetite, you'd be probably doing cutting back more on the grain and not going more than half a cup of grain and being between a half and, and being, so you would cut a half a cup of beans and half a cup of grain or a cup of beans and no grain or a quarter cup of grain and three quarters cup of beans. Some, your carbohydrate would be some ratio there where you certainly want want to eat more grain than bean, you would want to eat more bean than grain. Speaking of ratios, what do you think about mic micronutrient ratios? Is there an ideal or is it just like, would, would, it, would it occur naturally when you are eating this way based on greens? Well, we, we have a high micronutrient per calorie. Um, so we're eating a huge amount of micronutrients. Oh, sorry, yeah, I meant... Um, my mistake, macronutrient ratio, you know, the macronutrient ratio of proteins and carbs and, and fats. Right, right. Yeah. Well, the key here is, remember, is remembering that animal protein drives aging and drives IGF-1 too high and drives cancer. So we have the ratio we want to keep animal protein down. But we don't, we still want to have adequate fat and adequate protein in our diet. So some, so there are some vegan advocates and people who promote plant-based diets 
that get people afraid to eat fat. And they want to keep the fat content below 10% of calories. And I think, in, I think the over, there's overwhelming amount of evidence at this point that's almost irrefutable that, that diets that low in fat are not lifespan favorable compared to diets that include more nuts and seeds where the fat content is up between 15 and 25%, not below 10%. So trying to avoid all fat, including avoiding nuts and seeds, is not lifespan favorable. And the other problem is the risk of dementia and cognitive impairment and brain shrinkage with aging from people not getting enough of the beneficial omega-3 fatty acids in their brain that come from DHA and EPA. So the, there's a problem with the vegan diet, and that is some people need more, a lot more B12, and B12 deficiency could be a problem, but not only B12 deficiency. The other serious problem is DHA deficiency for the brain. So what I'm saying right now is that it's important for some people to supplement with a DHA EPA source, and we make, they make vegan EPA and DHA made from algae, and if they're not supplementing to at least check their blood for omega-3 index to make sure their omega-3 index is above five to assure they're not gonna get brain shrinkage with aging. Because we're talking about longevity and living a long time. There's no good in living a long time if you don't have your mental faculties intact. And, and being on a vegan diet could put, you into, could put you into a risky state of, even though you're living longer, you could be demented living longer if you don't get those essential fats to, to support the um, brain health. Speaking of supplements, um, earlier this year, unfortunately, I had um, I was admitted to hospital with um, pneumonia, and as, as I was there, it was quite serious. And um, they said, "And you're anemic. It's because you're vegan." And I was like, "No, it's not." <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I was on a mission, a personal mission, when I left the hospital to kind of really focus on iron and and everything. And I got some more blood tests about three months after being in hospital, and everything was perfect, even the omegas and and everything, and B twelve. And I found that I actually had vitamin D deficiency. It was quite serious. It was um, five. I think it's below 20 or something is, is um, a deficiency. And um, I, I was looking into it. And I just think that, that people don't talk about this enough. People talk about B12 you know, in the vegan community. And, and it, there is a perception that that's all you need you know, to, to replace animals, so to speak. Um, but I was really thinking about you know, what do you think about vitamin D supplementation and also K2 and iodine, because those are things that are not very abundant in a plant-based diet. Absolutely. And, you know, um, but just as many people eating animal products are deficient in vitamin D too, because it's the sun, it's the sun, sunshine vitamin, you know, so all, it has nothing to do with being a vegan, but absolutely we need to check that and make sure we have adequate vitamin D. And by getting exposure to the sun, you could be hurting, damaging your skin and increasing risk of skin aging, wrinkling, solar lentigos and even skin cancer. So we have to be careful not to overdo sun and use a blood test to, to monitor our vitamin D levels to make sure we're in that favor, most favorable range, not too little and not too much. To use vitamin, you know, a little bit of sun appropriately and, a, and some vitamin D to make sure you're right in that level. And you're right, the, the supplements I recommend for, for plant, healthy plant-based eater do not have folic acid and vitamin A and beta carotene in them. Because that's the danger is that people take conventional vitamins to get their zinc, iodine, K2, B12, and vitamin D. And in doing so, they're exposing themselves to ingredients that are dangerous, like vitamin A, beta carotene, folate, folic acid, which is not the same as folate in real food, folic acid, 
and, um, and vitamin E fragments, which people don't need when they eat healthy. So we want to give people, yes, what those things that the vegan diet could be low in, which you said are zinc, K2, iodine, vitamin D, B12, and I'm saying DHA, but not give them things that are, that can be, you take these cheap vitamins that can hurt people. Absolutely. I've been there ever since I came out of hospital and I'm on this mission to kind of cured by my diet. I've been following my um, nutrition on chronometer, which has been very interesting. And almost every day I'm a bit low on calcium, even though I'm trying to have all the, all the things like almonds and, and broccoli and, and um, even some plant-based milk, which has got um, some calcium in it been fortified, but that, that's quite difficult. But it's very interesting to see also the oil, how much that it's always been around 35% oil, nearly 60, 70 grams per day. And I think I read that in your book that, that you would consider that to be a high fat diet, <laughs> 70 grams a day. Just think of the amount you're diluting your nutrients when you have foods that have no calcium, when you have so many calories that have no calcium and no magnesium and no phosphorus yeah. and no potassium. And, no, so, and then you add salt to the people's diet and the salt has to be washed away and it sucks all the other minerals out of the body when they're taking in a high salt diet. So it's the combination between sugar, salt, and oil that has profound damaging effects in our population. And so, the cal so obviously, if you're taking so many calories from oil instead of eating the whole food, you're going to... And beans and greens are very high in calcium. And there was a study that came out of England that showed that vegans had higher risk of hip fractures and bone fractures compared to meat eaters. And we analyzed the diets of those British vegans, and they were eating a starch-based diet with lots of bread and potato, and their calcium levels and the protein levels were half the amount compared to the vegetarian diet. Their calcium levels were too low, and their protein levels were too low. And when you feed them more beans and vegetables, and, and then they and nuts and their calcium getting high and the protein goes high and they don't have hip fractures. Exciting. I'm really excited what's going to happen in the next few weeks as I follow this plan and with, with no oil, I'm definitely going to be checking out your website with the, um, with the, with the recipes. And what else do you have on your website? I've seen, about, I've seen your eat to live retreat. Would you like to tell us more about that? That sounds absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I've been in medical practice more than three decades taking care of people and I, get so much pleasure in helping people reverse their medical conditions. People with heart problems don't need, you know, get out of the hospital. Don't do the angioplasty. Come here. We'll reverse it. We'll get you off the blood pressure medication. Get rid of your diabetes. But so many people, they know how they should eat and they know they should eat healthier, but they don't seem to be able to do it in their own home environment to get started. And you need that period of abstinence and get your taste buds, re you know, retrained to love eating this way and learn the recipes. And we have a whole program here where people can, jumpstart their program. And the minimum stay though is 30 days. We, mm -hmm. people come in for at least one month from one month, two months or three months. Some people stay, have stayed four months or so, but most people stay a couple of two months or so and they lose a lot of weight. They may drop 50 pounds, but then they have the skill now to be able to go home and enjoy this and continue it and continue dropping the weight if they need to. So it, it sets them up to a whole new way of looking about food and taking care of their health in their life. Because, you know, people go away to these health retreats or these health farms or these fat farms, and they go away for a week or two, and they lose weight, they eat healthy for a week, and they go back and they can't sustain it. They go back to their old diet and they gain the weight back. So we set this up here, this beautiful place where people can come and so when they and they stay long enough. So they're like renting a room for two or three months. And the time they go home, they know how to cook. They know have the emotional, they change, have the personality and emotional intelligence now to deal with their problems and not use food as a stress reliever. And they know how to make food taste great. And they're no longer addicted to those foods and they're 
and they really have the skills to really enjoy eating this way. So I think it's, it's a really, um, you know, beautiful place. I'm here at the retreat now, but oh, I can, wow, amazing! I, I could show you the um, the back of the retreat where the we are right near the beautiful mountains and pools and volleyball court. And packed, you know, here if we if you want to see, we have people oh, eating wow. breakfast here. You can see we have oh, that's incredible people, people eating breakfast here, and then we have. You can see out the back window. You can see the swing, you see the swing pool out there. Oh, that sounds and, amazing. Yeah, so obviously have some emphasis on the exercise as well then. Yeah, we have a lot of great, we have a, we have a great exercise trainer. We have a water, water aerobics and, and um, you know, all types of um, great hiking trails in the woods. Park right in its store with mountain trails and streams and waterfalls. It's really beautiful here. And then for those of us, or for those people who are not fortunate enough to attend your retreat, what other resources are you offering on your website for anyone who wants to? Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. Retreat is relatively, you know, in smaller numbers. Most people join the website where I can communicate with them. They ask the doctor for them and give them guidance. And I have a staff of food addiction counselors that work with people who have food addiction if they need extra personal help. But on the website, we have a member center where people can get recipes, menu plans, all types of supportive services, communication with other people, and, and if necessary, communication with my staff and myself to help guide them on their, you know, in their future health challenges. Um, hopefully, I'll be sending you some um, before and after pictures soon as well, maybe in six weeks, hopefully. Um, so a couple of quick questions. What's the book that changed your life? I guess it was a book by Dr. Duntrop called You Don't Have to Be Sick. Ah. It was written in the 1950s, and Jack Duntrop was a, um, a, produ- a television producer who produced the series Hopalong Cassidy and, um, and The Lone Ranger, I think. So he was like a, here in Hollywood, and he wrote a book, You Don't Have to Be Sick, and it was one of the first books on health I read, which made, wasn't that complicated a book, but it made sense to me that you don't, but people, and I was a teenager at the time, obviously, and people impressed on me the idea that people are ill because they eaten and lived in a manner to earn disease. And disease is not luck. It's not, it's not genetics. It's, and we can, we can control our health destiny. It gave me this idea that we are in control and we don't just have something happen to us, you know? So, and I think that, um, you know, I've gotten tremendous amount of um, pleasure and personal reward satisfaction from using these same principles I learned when I was young. So even though the science has advanced and we've modified our advice, the same basic principle is we're not designed to get sick. We're designed to stay healthy and well our whole lives if we live within, you know, if we supply us with the right raw material. Sounds very empowering. Another question, which phrase or affirmation or quote do you live by? I'm not, I'm not sure of the phrase or affirmation or quote, but I always teach people this concept of what makes people happy. And the idea that very contrary to the modern world where people are like competing with each other, the countries are competing, people are competing, they're trying to be better than other people. And the whole idea that what I've learned from what I've read is that our ultimate happiness is having goodwill for other people, having compassion and trying to love people and love the world and, and the beauty in the world around us and appreciate things in the world around us. So contribute to the beauty in the world around us and have more care and compassion for people of all different types and, and appreciate what's, what the, the power and the beauty in all people. So we're talking here about um, the idea that instead of trying to look for things to be 
agitated, annoyed with, and feel, um, you know, looking for things to be negative, we have to look for things to be positive about. And the more we do that, the more we can relate and our happiness is based on how much we care and feel for others. It helps us feel better about ourselves too. Fantastic. So where can people find you? The best place is at drfurman.com, which, um, and they can see more recent works that are, um, they can, they can read a lot and see videos. It's, so it's D-R-F-U-H-R-M-A-N.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. It's been a pleasure and I've learned a lot and I'm very inspired to continue on my, on my journey. Thank you. So, so happy you're taking great care of your health. Oh yeah, I'm really excited because um, I actually, um, I had a, an assessment at the gym and they said I was 30% body fat and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a kind of a skinny fat person. Yes, you should be low. The ideally for a woman should be below twenty five percent body fat. For a man, they should be below fifteen percent body fat. I'm going to spin cycle in an hour, so you're not that you're not that far off. You just got a little bit. You just got to drop ten pounds. So how long will it take me? <laughs> two pounds a week. Two one kilogram a week. So it shouldn't take you more than you know six weeks. Okay, hopefully, hopefully. Well, okay. I'll send you a before and after picture and. Uh... <laughs> Hopefully I'll be another one of your success stories. Okay, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. The book I'm reading now is Open Her by Karen Brody. And the tagline is, activate seven masculine powers to arouse your woman's love and desire. Karen Brody is a man coach. And I'm reading this book because she has kindly agreed to an interview with me on this podcast, and that'll be coming soon. And we'll be talking about everything that she discusses about relationships and masculinity, which is a very interesting topic. So I don't think I was actually the target reader for this book. It's definitely written for men who want to connect more with women. And despite that, I actually really, really enjoyed this book. And it made me really crave masculine energy I'm at a stage of my life now where I've just ended a relationship. It's quite hard because I'm not into dating apps or anything like that. So I'm really craving masculine energy and it's, yeah, something I'm desiring a lot. So reading this book made me think about how much I do want that right now in my life. And she just talk about seven masculine powers and more specifically, she talks about seven masculine archetypes and let me read them to you. There is the artist, the poet, the director, the warrior, the sage, the dark knight, the lover. Very interesting. So I guess most men could fall into the category of one of those archetypes, or some men could be a combination of more than one. And each chapter opens up with a situation that she was in with a man who was one of these archetypes. And I really enjoyed that part. It was almost like reading a novel or a a memoir. And that's the part that I, I enjoyed the most. And there were some archetypes that do that did appeal to me more than others. For example, the artist, a man who can really see you. And um and another one. The Dark Knight, not so much that maybe bad boys could 
could fall into that categories. And maybe I've had a few of those in my life and uh, the passion can be fantastic, but I, I do find they can be about quite tiring as well, that whole situation. So that's not, not something I'm looking for now, even though I can appreciate that energy for sure. So I did enjoy how every chapter opened up with a real life situation with a man who was one of those archetypes. And I think um, the whole the whole topic of gender is a real hot topic at the moment. There are many reasons why, and I can understand maybe the need for a man coach. I think along the way, there's you know women have becoming have been becoming more powerful, rightly so, which I totally describe myself and define myself as a feminist. We understand that men have maybe asking themselves, where do I fit into this new world now? And also with the Me Too movement, I think there's a lot of doubt about what you can do and what you can't do in terms of seduction, etc. And where does the line, where is the line of um, expressing an interest in someone and harassment? There's lots of um, there's lots of topics around that at the moment. But this, that book, the book doesn't talk about anything like that. It's more of it's more about authenticity and connecting um, with looking at the, your strong points and your weak points in, in that, um, in that within, uh, in, within each archetype and how to use your archetype to the best to your advantage when you are trying to connect with a woman, hence the name Open Her. And let me read something from the blurb at the back. What man doesn't fantasize about having the secret keys and passcodes to unlock a woman's desire for him? The truth is, you don't have to fantasize. You already have everything you need within you to unleash your woman's desire. The problem is, you think it's too hard, too mysterious, or just not you. But what if getting what you want is simply a matter of tapping into what's already within you? and is the only real missing link between you and a passionate, satisfying relationship. Interesting. And it says, Karen Brody, an expert guide for men in relationships, who has helped thousands of men successfully engage women, will teach you how to fire up and leverage your masculinity into masculine gifts to give your woman the aspects of you she secretly craves. I absolutely love this book. So, I would recommend it to anyone who wants to connect with a woman or reconnect with the woman in their lives. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, Take a deep breath and enjoy. I am healthy. I am strong. I am grateful for my good health. I am grateful to be alive. I have healthy habits. I deserve to feel good every day. I am healthy. I am strong. 
am calm. I take care of myself. My immune system is resilient. I deserve to feel good every day. I am healthy. I am strong. I overcome illness quickly and efficiently. I get enough replenishing sleep every night. I rest when I need to. I deserve to feel good every day. I am healthy. I am strong. I lead a healthy lifestyle. I eat delicious, nutrient-dense food. I do my best to maintain my health. I deserve to feel good every day. I am healthy. I am strong. I seek medical attention when I need it. I have regular checkups to monitor my health. My good health benefits me and those around me. I deserve to feel good every day. I am healthy. I am strong. I exercise regularly. I manage my stress efficiently. I take a break when I need to. I deserve to feel good every day. I am healthy. I am strong. I treat my body with love and respect. My health is important. My good health is a priority. I deserve to feel good every day. I am healthy. I am strong. I am open to new ways that I can improve my health. I am surrounded by people who support my good health. I make healthy choices. I deserve to feel good every day. To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara 
in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.